This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here this morning. So this seminar is entitled The Truth About Sex and Sexuality. And it's really about love, sex, and relationships. And um, actually, it's, it kind of builds on, each one builds on each other. And so you can jump in any time. You can miss other ones, and you're not going to be lost at all. But it's still builds in the sense that at the end, when you go to different presentations, you're going to see that um, it's going to come more alive because of the previous presentations. So... And, you know, I saw guys out there, <laughs> I saw men, like, peeking in this morning, but they didn't want to come in, of course. But um, I think it's important that men do know the sexual temptations of women, and because it is different. And also, I think it's important that women understand the temptations of men, because I believe it's going to help you in your relationships with the opposite sex, in your, when you have boyfriends or girlfriends, or even when you get married, a husband and wife, is going to tremendously help you in your relationship if you do understand not only your struggles, but also the struggles of the opposite sex. So um, don't feel that it's just only for men or just only for women, but you're welcome as well. So what we're going to do is, we're going to start with looking in the Bible, John chapter 4, please. We're going to turn to John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 is the opening text. John 4, verse 13 and 14. And the first presentation is entitled, Empty and Sychar, Sexual Integrity for Women. Empty and Sychar, Sexual Integrity for Women. Now, men and women both struggle with sexual integrity, but just they struggle in different ways. And it's an urban legend that says that women do not struggle with sexual purity. How can we believe the lie that uh, men are the only ones who struggle with sexual immorality when for every man that commits adultery, there's always another woman. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see that each, men have different struggles, women have different struggles, and the danger about it is, and it's worse for women because the sexual struggles of women is not openly talked about. In fact, you hardly even hear about it out there, what their struggle is. And so we're going to be looking at the Bible and the spirit of prophecy to see what is really said about the different struggles between men and women. And so it makes it even more dangerous because a lot of women bring this sexual lusting, I call it, emotional lusting into the marriages, and it ruins and destroys the marriages. And a lot of times they, put, they actually make it seem like it's the man's fault, but a lot of times it's really their own fault because they have not overcome in this era. So we've been looking at this um, this morning. And you know, as we study the different weaknesses of the different sexes, you're going to find out there's an over- overlap of men and women. And, and because of today, because of the days we're living in, the confusion of roles, and because of what's going on in this world. So as we open God's word, may we be open to the Holy Spirit, his convictions as we study God's word together. Let us pray. Father, as your word is open... We humbly kneel in our hearts before you and we ask that you may be our teacher and that we ourselves can do nothing and learn nothing. And so, Lord, 
open our hearts and our minds to hear what you may be speaking to us today is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 is our opening text. Now, what did Jesus offer the Samaritan woman? John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst, what? Again, right? But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus saw that this woman's, her well of her heart was empty. And that she was longing in her heart for something more. And every time she tried to fill it, it always felt more and more empty. And so Jesus said, there's something else here I want to fill you with this water that you're never going to thirst again. You're never going to um, hunger for something else. You will be satisfied with what's going on in your life. And look at verse 15. What was the woman's response to this offer? The Bible says in verse 15, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. So in other words, this woman was, was, was thirsting for this water. She wanted something that, that actually would satisfy the deep longings of her heart, the deep longings within her bones. And she wanted that. But before she could receive this fulfillment, what did Jesus first bring up? Notice that verse 16 and 18. Notice what it says here. Now, this woman wants this water. Jesus offered her this living water that's going to satisfy the deep longings of her soul, the deep longings of her soul. And he offered this water. And she said, yes, I want this water. Give me this water. In other words, it's kind of like somebody telling you about the truth. And you said, you tell that person, yes, tell me the truth. If someone was to tell you, tell me the truth, what would you do if they told you, tell you the truth? What would you do? You would what? Tell them the truth, right? What do you say? Amen, right? So give me this living water, tell me the truth, and this intellectual truth. But I want you to notice what Jesus did first before he was able to give her this truth, this present truth that she wanted so badly. He did something else. Jesus said to her, here is the truth. Is that what he said? What did he say? Go call your what? Go call your husband and come here. I want you to notice that he, before she could be receptive to what was really the truth, she first had to deal with her past relationships and her brokenness and deal with her sexual and emotional integrity. And that's why in order to us to be truly fulfilled in Christ, understand present truth and truth, we must first be healed of our sexual sins within us, our emotional integrity within us. And that's what God wants us to understand. You see, that's what Jesus wants us to experience, a fulfillment in our hearts. But he has to deal with the brokenness within our lives, the hurting, the pain, the emotional longings of our soul first. And so this morning what we're going to do is, Satan has a strategy of attack for both men and women. We're going to look at the strategy of attack that he has for women. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back 6,000 years ago to the first relationship. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is where he began his attack against Eve. It was back in the Garden of Eden. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 in your Bibles, please. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Now, this strategy of attack that Satan uses, he uses certain method, and we'll be looking at these four methods he uses to get women to fall. 
It says here in verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the first thing here we have is that has a serpent. And what is this serpent doing? It's what? It's, what is it doing? It's talking, right? It's speaking. Now, can animals speak? No, right? So here we have a false medium. In other words, you have a false medium here where an animal cannot speak, but a serpent is speaking. So it's the first method of attack, of strategy of attack that Satan uses against women is he uses a false medium to get his message across. That's the first step. By the way, there is a flyer, but um, I guess unfortunately... Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. Um. Some people willing to hand it out? Okay, thank you very much. Any more people? Okay, there is a fly right there. So this will help you out. There's a handout that kind of follows along. Thank you very much for helping. Appreciate it. So the first step. Now the second thing continues on in verse 1 inside um, your Bible. It says, so the first thing is that um, there was a false medium. So the first strategy attack was there was a false medium that Satan used. And then the second strategy was that he said, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay, so what he did was he put, the second thing is that, what did Satan put inside of her mind? What is he trying to get Eve to do? To what? To doubt, right? To put a questioning in her mind, right, of her current condition. So the first step is that there's a false medium that he uses to get to attack her. And then the second thing is that he actually puts a, a, a questioning or a doubt in her mind to question her current situation that um, maybe there's something out there that is um, better than what I currently have. And so that's, what so that's what Satan was doing with Eve. That's the second step, strategy of attack. And then what was the response of Eve to the serpent? Look at verse 2 and 3. The Bible says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor you shall touch it, lest you die. You see, Eve believed in her core values, and she believed she was satisfied with everything she had. She was satisfied with God. She was satisfied with her life. She was satisfied with her husband. And she was satisfied with the emotional needs that she had in her life. She was satisfied and content with the current situation. Now, I want you to notice, Satan's strategy was not this. Satan's strategy was not, hey, Eve, over here. You know, and by the way, the tree was attractive. Okay? But to her, in her mind, she had the mental breaks that is not attractive enough because she loved God. Right? She loved her husband. So to her, it wasn't even attractive at all. So if Satan would say, hey, Eve, this fruit is very attractive. Of course it was. God made it. It's very, you know, very beautiful. And he would say, hey, Eve, catch. And she, and she was a catch. And said, eat it, Eve. Take a bite. Would she have eaten it? No. So the first thing he had to do was he had to get into her mind, right, and change her mind somehow to make it look now that the fruit is attractive, Right? So that's the whole concept. Not see, just a, here's a temptation of sin. You know, you know that's why many people they're not they're not attracted to the temptation. But he had to get into her mind, and that's what his focus was. So look at verse four and five. What was the third thing that Satan did? Verse four and five says, "Then the serpent said to the woman, 'You will not surely die, 
For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like what? God knowing what? Good and evil. In other words, here's the third strategy attack, right? In other words, she's dissatisfied with her current situation, but all of a sudden she, Satan wants to make her believe that there's something out there that's better for her out there than what she's currently experiencing, right? Because if she was to eat the fruit, she would be like what? God, right? She would actually come to a higher sphere, a, a, an experience unlike ever, anything ever experienced before. She'd feel really good about her, her new experience, her emotional needs fulfilled like, unlike any way before in her life. And so Satan brought the third strategy attack to kind of get her up to that next sphere, to that next level, and to tempt her there. And so that was Satan's main goal, dissatisfied, and that she's missing out on something, something out there. And when she finally started to believe these lies in her mind, right, and Satan's goal was not to get her to externally sin, he wanted her to change her thoughts and her feelings in her mind first, and then the external sins will follow. Does that make sense, right? Amen? That's why we told that character, which is our thoughts and feelings, what's the only thing we're going to take to heaven? Our character, which is our, Ellen White says, is our thoughts and our feelings. Where's our thoughts and feelings? Do we wear it on the outside or is it on the inside? Ah, so Satan is focused on changing your thoughts and changing your feelings. And if he changes your thoughts and he changes your feelings, then he knows that the external acts of sin will follow. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? amen. So he wants, to, he wants to change your mind. He used a strategy attack to get into the woman's mind. And once he got her there, then verse 6 comes. You know, I was talking about just the fruit. You know, it's just the fruit, eating the fruit on the outside. And that's how sin came in. No, it was a planned strategy attack to change her mind on the inside, knowing that verse 6 will follow automatically. And that's what happened in verse 6. And what happened in verse 6? The Bible says in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for food. In other words, this is the first time she actually sees that it's now good. Before, in her mind, I'm not interested in that fruit, right? But all of a sudden, because her mind had been changed, she is now interested in that fruit. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? He worked on her mind. He plays with her mind. You know, women struggle differently from men. Women have higher levels of estrogen, more with the emotional side. And so Satan's attack for women is to attack women with emotional lusting. Men have less estrogen. No, God wired us differently. We're created differently from God. He gave us different hormones that work differently. We're going to learn that in men the next seminar. But women struggle with a different type of lusting. It's called emotional lusting. And so... He got her to fall. So that's what happened here in verse 6. And it says, it continues on, it says, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took up its fruit and ate. Only after what Satan had worked inside of her heart on the inside. You see, that's what Satan's goal was. First of all, let's recap. First of all, he used, first of all, an unrealistic medium that he used, a false reality to, as a tool to get Eve, right, to sin. Next, Satan put questions in Eve's mind concerning her current situation, that she's not content with her situation, or with her God, with her marriage, with everything else, with her man. And then the next thing is that Satan led Eve to believe that she was missing out on something better out there. Maybe there's something out there that was, I'm missing out upon. 
Be like a God. I feel like a God. I'm going to feel good. There's something out there. And then finally, the last thing was that Satan brings the temptation of making the forbidden fruit look attractive and bring it before her and make it good for food and desire to make one wise. That's clear. Let me say amen. Amen? That's why women struggle with the emotional loss. And just like Eve, modern Eve today, Satan knows today that if he would openly show women the forbidden fruit and say, hey, Eve, modern Eve, eat of this fruit, many women would not eat of it. Especially if they're in love with their husband or their, or, or their or the boyfriend, they would not eat of it. So Satan's strategy of attack is he wants to get to them. And how does Satan get them to fall? His plan of strategy attack that was used 6,000 years ago is still used today with high success. And I can tell you from personal experiences that many, many relationships fail because of this. And the sad thing is that, you know, not only does, you know, this topic, they asked me to speak on, on this topic of the truth about sex and sexuality. And, um, you know, I thought about it and said, you know, this is really good because how many churches actually have seminars at their local churches about this subject, right? How many actually schools even talk about it, right? How many of these, you know, even the parents won't even touch this issue. But you think about it. If our churches are not talking about it, if our schools are not touching it, if our parents don't want to deal with it, then tell, you tell me, where do you think our young people are learning all about this subject? The world. From who? Their friends? Media? The internet? You think the internet is the best place for our young people to learn about this topic? Why? Because the church is so afraid and so scared to touch this topic. And yet many people, many young people are falling because of this. And let alone talk about, you know, the men's sins, which is more obvious, but to deal with the emotional lusting of the heart for women. And where do you even hear that even in the world? You know, that's not even considered wrong, you know. And so Satan has deceived us today. So the first thing that Satan uses for the attack for modern ease is that, first of all, he uses an unrealistic medium of false reality to get her to not be content with her current situation or relationship. So today he uses fictional romance novels, soap operas, love stories, romantic comedies. Can you hear a big amen? Amen. <laughs> Sitcoms. And even Disney movies. Can you hear a big amen for that one? I know that one hurts. People told me it hurts. Right? Say amen. <laughs> As a medium to spoil relationships, wreck marriages, and ruin sexual integrity. Now hear me out. Okay? Because this is the medium uses to bring discontent into a woman's heart about her current situation. In other words, they create a desire for castle building. Look at your handout. Look at this quotation. It says here. Thousands are today in the insane asylum whose minds became unbalanced by novel reading which results in air castle building and lovesick sentimentalism. So in other words, you create like an air castle building. Now, what is this air castle? Air, air meaning that is up there in the air is not real, right? Kind of like a daydreaming. Daydreaming about what? Well, what's a castle? Okay, castle building. Not only in a castle, you have a king and a queen, and you also have a prince and a what? Princess, right? So a castle building, in Spirit of Prophecy says there's a princess, and in this castle, there's a princess in this castle, and this, and this Cinderella princess, right? 
She's there in his, in his castle, a false medium of this beautiful air castle. And she's being mistreated, so she actually is very discontent with her situation, right? And she's all miserable. And what is she looking forward to? She's looking forward that some way out there she's going to be made happy like a goddess, right, out there. That somehow there's someone out there, right? Some Prince Charming is going to come, right? And he's going to ride on his white horse to take her, sweep her off her feet, and ride off into the sunset. Can you say Hawaiian sunset, right? To live happily ever after, right? I'm from Hawaii, by the way. <laughs> is that not true? Savor of a miserable, wretched condition. This Prince Charming is going to come, right? You know, it sounds so beautiful, right? Notice it says here the next quotation. So it says, You have been injured by reading love stories and romances, and your mind has been fascinated by impure thoughts. Your imagination has become corrupt until you seem to have no power to control your thoughts. Day and night dreaming and castle building are bad and exceedingly dangerous habits. When once established, it is next to impossible to break up such habits and direct the thoughts of pure, holy, elevated themes. You will have to become a faithful sentinel over your eyes, ears, and all your senses if you would control your mind and prevent vain and corrupt thoughts from staining your soul. The power of grace alone can accomplish this most desirable work. What do you say? Amen? This daydreaming having a crush on someone and just thinking about them and daydreaming, imagining you know, a scenario where you're going to meet up with them in your mind and imagine what it's like to be with that person. You know, you keep on thinking like that and thinking like that. What's going to happen when you finally find the love of your life? You think that habit that you created your whole childhood from a little child being brainwashed as a little child of Cinderella, right? Being swept up by your feet. You think that habit, and all through high school with all those crushes you had, all those guys, you think all of a sudden when you get married, poof, it's automatically going to disappear all of a sudden? Or you think that, that that emotional lusting will come back to haunt you even in your marriage, and many times you're not even going to realize it? You think that could be possible? Yes. You believe that's possible? Let me say amen. Amen? That is totally possible. And I've seen it, and many women have told me, and it has destroyed many marriages. And yet, no one even touches the emotional lusting of the heart. It's always the men's side, right? It's the physical lusting, the pornography, right? Is that not true? And yet it's not dealt with, and it's the most, it's the most dangerous sin because it is not talked about. And yet many marriages, and many times, it's projected upon as if it's the man's fault. She's Cinderella, right? And that's why the next quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy is so powerful. Listen to what it says. It says, From what the Lord has shown me, the women of this class have had their imaginations perverted by novel reading, daydreaming, and castle building, living in an imaginary world. You know, we talk about our young people going into the internet and, you know, electronics, and they're escaping into Fantasy Island. That's their escape, right? You know, that's electronics. But people not only escape into this electronic fantasy world, but they do it through actually through love stories, you know, Disney films, imaginary world. They do not take up the light burdens which lie in their path and seek to make a happy, cheerful home for their husbands. They expect others to anticipate their wants and do for them while they are at liberty to find fault and to question as they please. These women have a lovesick sentimentalism, constantly thinking they are not appreciated that their husbands do not give them all the attention they deserve. They imagine themselves martyrs. Poor me. You ever heard that before? Poor victim me, right? My husband's this, and 
You know, in fact, my husband's the head of the home. I just have to submit myself to him and poor me for all the suffering that I go through, right? Poor me. And they go through, whoa, poor me, poor Cinderella me. I long for that day I can be like a goddess and some Prince Charming can sweep me on my feet and, I can, and worship me and serve me like the goddess that I am, right? <laughs> and right after the sunset together to live happily ever after. To live happily ever after? Is that really what happens? With martyr, poor me. <laughs> Within every woman, there's a natural, a sinful nature that is bent towards sexual and emotional impurity. And what these love stories do is that they speed up the process immediately. In other words, you already have a bent for this as a woman. You know, even men too. You know, it's not only women, it's men too. Because, you know, okay, this is a happy. So when I was younger, like in high school, you know, I had this crush on this girl. And she likes soap operas. You know, guys, we don't like soap operas, okay? We're just kind of like, oh, man, that's so boring, right? But because I wanted to have some kind of conversation with her and kind of, you know, have something to talk about, I started forcing myself to watch these soap operas. <laughs> <laughs> so I even watching this soap opera, like, oh, man. But after a while, like, oh, grab some food. After a while, like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow, right? Because we still have estrogen. Men have estrogen, by the way, right? But it takes a little while to warm up. And so, like, after I got into it, and then even after the crush is over, I'm like, wow, I still was watching the soap opera <laughs> because I got so sucked in, right? And so we have it within us. And so that, that bent is there. And so when you watch these other things, like, you know, like soap opera or you watch these Disney films, right, what happens is it speeds up the process. It makes the intensity stronger within you, a desire to want to do it even much more. And so that's the danger of these false mediums. The next step is that he put a question in her mind concerning her present situation. She may start comparing her boyfriend or husband with every other man. You know, she's not dissatisfied with her husband. You know, I come home from work. He comes home from work. He just kind of watches the TV. And I got to do all the chores. I'm tired from working all day. You know, why can't I have someone who actually shared the work with me? I mean, this kind of, these thoughts are coming in within her mind and questioning, right? Everything that she could be. And then... The next third step is that lead women to believe that they're missing out on something better than life. There's something out there, then there's somebody out there that maybe could treat me like a woman. Something out there that could feel the emotional longings of my soul and my, my heart. Maybe that guy at work. And then finally, she dissatisfied, and now Satan comes after her mind is changed and she's longing for something else, right? Her mind's changed. And before that forbidden fruit, like, here, here, eat, eat this fruit. She's like, huh, no, thank you. Now, all of a sudden, that forbidden fruit that would make her like a goddess and now Cinderella dreams come true, all of a sudden now looks attractive. And so she looks at this forbidden fruit and Satan brings this forbidden fruit. He brings someone to you who looks handsome or cute because he can make you laugh. He brings someone to you, forbidden fruit, pleasant to your mind, someone who is caring and is able to satisfy your emotional needs unlike anything before. He makes, thoroughly, he makes the forbidden fruit to be desirable, to make you wise. Someone who brings you, makes you very, very intellectually stimulating or spiritually fulfilling that you've always longed for. So Satan works through all these things. You know, it's at this point, you know, he has, so looking back, so he has this, these novels he brings into your life. He brings these movies into your life and he brings these men into your life, Right? And it's at this point that he, Satan deceives many Christians in their walk with God because, you know, they may not be committing, right, an external act, 
but they could still be emotionally lusting in their heart for another man, right? Can you imagine your husband when you're married trying to get intimate with you, transparent and real, trying to actually fulfill the emotional needs of your heart and connect and fulfill his emotional needs, and yet you're out there somewhere else fantasizing, daydreaming, even about good memories with maybe a crush from the past, just as an escape, just so that you can fulfill your emotional needs. And if your emotional needs are fulfilled from another man, whether it's a real man or imaginary in your wife's mind, don't you think that would affect your relationships? And all along, your husband could be frustrated, discouraged, not realizing that they're struggling and taking a blame maybe for everything that's happened in their life. I had a girl came up to me and she said after that, you know, you're so true. Everything you said is true because I fantasize about men. You know, people come, people come into my life um, and I meet them and I could meet a guy for the first time and I'm already imagining what it's like to be married to him if he's you know, a really nice guy, you know. And yet, this is not a singular story because many women have told me the same thing. So, what we're going to do is, we're going to go back and turn to me to Matthew 24, verse 37. Matthew 24, verse 37. Bring it to the days of today. Matthew 24, verse 37. How will the last days be like right before Jesus comes back again? Matthew 24, verse 37. Okay, the Bible says, as it, how is it like before, um, when Je- it will be like when Jesus comes back, in the, uh, back again? The Bible says, but as the days of Noah were, so also would the coming of the Son of Man be. So, in other, ways, in other words, how it is today was like how it was in the days of Noah, right? So, the next question is, how was it like in the days of Noah? So, let's go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Let's look at a few texts here. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And how was it back then? Because if we know how it was back then, then we're going to know how it's like today and, and better able to deal with the struggles that we face today, both women and men. The Bible says here in verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the what? Thoughts of his heart was only what? Evil continually. So in other words, the thoughts back then in those days, the thoughts were only evil continually. In other words, there was evil thoughts, evil imaginations, right? Evil lusting, right? Evil daydreaming, castle building, lovesick sentimentalism. That was going on back then. And Jesus said what it was back then in those days is going to be here in the last days here in the United States of America. What do you say? Amen? In this world today. And that's why the struggle today is back then. In other words, the thoughts are only evil Lusting, emotional lusting of the heart. Now, what does God want to do with our imaginations and thoughts? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. The Bible says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity... Every thought 
into the obedience of Christ. What do you say? Amen? So in other words, what God wants to do, he wants to cast down your castle-building imagination, and, your, and he wants to break down your, your, your evil thoughts within your mind and break it down. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? He not, God is not only concerned with your actions, but he's more concerned with your inside, your thoughts, your imaginations. And he wants that to be purified, to be clean. If you really want your relationships to work, it's come to a point, you know, they say that marriages today are falling apart and they're getting divorces. But you know, that number would be way more higher if people wouldn't shack up together. You know why? The reason why they're shacking up together and they're not getting married because they're so afraid of commitment and getting a divorce, right? And they're so afraid of like um, getting hurt that they don't. If you count the statistics of those who lived together and broke up and actually as a marriage, there would be way more divorces than what's shown in those who actually get married. Those who get married believe in the institution and actually want to make it work. Are you following me? And so if you count the reality of what's really going on in this world, the, the breakup situation, like even of marriage and divorce, is way more hard than it is today. And so many times these marriages are broken up. Relationships are hurting because this is a secret sin that is not being dealt with. But beloved, we need to deal with every secret sin. What do you say? Amen? And God has called you to be a light to this world. I want to be like, how about you? Amen? So John chapter 4, let's go back to the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 28 to 29. Let's see how it ends here. John chapter 4, verse 28 and 29. The Bible says, the woman, why did the Samaritan woman believe Jesus was the Christ? The Bible says, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? In other words, she told people about the Christ, that here was a person who was able to understand everything in, about her and knew what her emotional needs were, but also was able to fully satisfy them. In other words, Jesus is the only one who knows everything about you, and he's the only one who actually can fulfill all your disappointments in your life. No one on this earth can satisfy you. What do you say, amen? amen. Only Christ can truly satisfy you in your heart. You, your well must first be filled with Jesus Christ first. What do you say, amen? And then you can be safe to go out and have it fulfilled by a husband. Starting with a boyfriend, right? Fiance. But it must first be filled with Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people long out there who long for something more than they currently have. They have many relationships, addicted to love and relationships, but they're not satisfied. Something they feel is missing in their life and they can't put their finger on it. And that's why they, they, they jump to these movies because they're longing for something more. They're, they're not satisfied with their current situation. They're looking to be treated like a goddess, somehow unlike a boyfriend or this other guy's more nicer, more, you know, he's, he's much more spiritual or he, he fulfills my emotional needs. They look out to all these different guys, but only Jesus Christ can truly give us that living water. I want that. How about you? Amen? That's what God wants. He wants us to be satisfied. You have to be satisfied with Jesus. And even if you're satisfied, you know, there's women I know who are satisfied, but they didn't understand the strategies attack, of attack that Satan has against women. So all this time, the relationships and the marriage are struggling and they're committed Christians, but all this time, they didn't realize that they're reminiscing and fantasizing and casting daydreaming about even past boyfriends in the past whom they had whom they love growing up. 
They didn't think that that was wrong. And yet that was the very thing that separated, emotionally built a valley or a barrier between them and their husbands. Does that make sense to you this morning? Amen. That's clear, clear. Let me hear you say amen. amen. Amen? And yet I see this all over the place. God wants to bring healing. You know, at the cross when Jesus died, when a soldier poked the side of Jesus with his spear, out came two streams. Out of the cross, one stream came out blood, and another stream came out what? Water. So at the cross, and the cross is so beautiful because the cross reveals, there's no other place in history that better reveals how much God loves you than at the cross of Calvary. What do you say, amen? So at the cross of Calvary, the water, this, this water this woman was thirsting for, it came out of the side of Jesus, and it can fulfill the deep, longing, emotional needs of your own heart within your soul. What do you say, amen? You must go to the cross. And the cross, you see the love of God and how much he loves you to, to die for you. When you see the love of God on the cross and you drink from that water every day, it's good to spend a thoughtful hour every day, we're told, right? Contemplating the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes, which represents the cross. You think about the closing scenes and the love of God and how much Jesus loves you on the cross of Calvary, and you drink up that water coming from your side, that'll quench your thirst and longings of your soul. And only Jesus can fulfill that longing in your soul. I want that. How about you? Amen? God wants you, us to be sexually pure, not only in our actions, but also in our imaginations and in our thoughts. And that's going to only happen if we make some commitments to him. You know, for every counterfeit, there is a true. What do you say? Amen? Amen. So, yes, there is the counterfeits here. There is the counterfeits of um, that Satan has with this false medium and the counterfeit being dissatisfied with your life and, you know, some Prince Charm is going to come, right? It is a counterfeit. For every counterfeit, and the fact that there is a counterfeit, that means there must be a true. You know what the true is found? It's found in the Word of God, and it's Jesus Christ. What do you say? Amen? Amen. So, in the Word of God, according to Isaiah 9, verse 6, Jesus Christ is the true Prince of Peace. What do you say? Amen? And this Prince of Peace, the true Prince, Jesus who in Revelation 19.11 is riding on a white horse. Can you hear amen? Can somebody even say amen? What do you say? And he's riding on this white horse to come here to save us out of our pitiful condition in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. An evil world. And then he takes us in Revelation 21, verse 3 to ride off together into the eternal sunset of Revelation 22, verse 5 to reign together forever and ever after. What a beautiful love story. What do you say, amen? amen? That is a true story, what Jesus wants to do with you and your life. We must surrender to him. So I have covered in challenges I'm going to leave with you. Um, by the way, th if you have any questions, I'm going to open up a little bit at the end. You could ask a question, and then um, we'll do a little Q&A because we have a little bit of time at the end. Okay, so if you have a question, you can write it down and um, you can share, and I'll, I'll try as best to answer them. So the covenant challenge is this, and it's based upon better promises or God's promises to us because we're told in inspiration that our promises are like ropes of sand, right? You cannot do anything with them. So the first thing is that covenant number one, covenant to ask God to speak to you of his love for you. What do you say, amen? Because love is powerful. Love can break addictions. Love is very powerful. Two, 
covenant to ask Jesus to reveal to you that he is your only true Prince Charming. What do you say? Amen? Three, covenant to stop reading all romance novels from watching all soap operas, romantic comedy movies, romance comedy sitcoms, and Disney movies. Ooh, ouch. But can you hear a big amen? Amen? Some of you are still hurting from that one. I know. <laughs> Covenant to capture re your rehearsed scenario thoughts and bring them to the obedience of Jesus Christ. What do you say? Amen. Six, covenant to escape from the imaginary world back into the real world. What do you say? Huh? Amen. That's what God wants for all of us here. You know, it takes, it takes, they say it takes three weeks in order to overcome an addiction. And it takes up to six weeks to overcome a sexual habit or an addiction. And so here's some things you know, I recommend. You know, face, number one, I recommend face and experience healing for your past hurts. In other words, you know, I believe that emotional lusting a lot of times of the heart, that's a symptom. Ellen White says we need to reason from cause to effect. That's just an effect. There's a root cause over here that's causing this problem. Now, um, I'll give you an example. We have a school. Um, if you're interested, um, we have flyers here. We have a booth here inside the ex exhibition hall. But we have a school, and um, we deal in emotional healing, dealing with root causes. And we just finished a school in Hawaii, and it, we create a safe place. So this, a couple came up, and it was a, it was a gay couple, two, two women. And we deal with helping people experience healing from the emotional wounds. So we help their... Um, they experience healing. They're addicted to heavy drugs, you know, crystal meth, ice. So heavy drugs, alcohol. You know, from the first day, because we combined the physical healing, emotional healing, from the first day, they were clean off all drugs. They got clean all the way through. They didn't fall. It's been about a month and a half, two months later. They haven't fallen back yet. Now, I just heard a week ago that, and we didn't touch really the issue. We didn't touch the issue about um, the sexual sin of, a gay lifestyle, because I was dealing with the emotional. Something happened in their past they needed healing from, and we dealt with that. And they experienced a healing. You could tell they experienced healing. About a week ago, um, one of my colleagues was, met them at their church, and they told them, him that the couple, the gay couple, decided on their own to break up their relationships. And they broke it off and decided to actually seek relationships with men individually on their own. Because you're dealing with the root cause. You deal with the root causes, whatever sexual abuse, whatever happened to them in the past, they've been sexually abused, um, they have bad relationships or whatever with the parents or ex-boyfriends or whatever it is, they heal from that pain and hurt, then these external sins and stuff, they will fall away. Does that make sense? You're dealing with the root cause. And that's why a lot of these emotional lusting of the heart has to deal with it. Something happened in the past. You have to deal with those too. You have to go back, experience healing. You know, even Jesus, right? He could, he could just say, okay, here's the present truth, right? Here's a Bible study, right? Here's a, the studies you need to learn. But he went back to her brokenness of her past, right? Give me the truth. Brokenness of her past. Deal with her brokenness, right? What? Five husbands? You, have, you got married, you got divorced, right? You're seeking for love, married, divorced. All this brokenness. But you deal with that brokenness and heal from that. And then he says, okay, now you're ready. And his external sins will fall away. That's what it is to deal with the root cause. That's the first thing. Second thing. So, um, no, first thing. Second thing, read and think upon the love that God has for you, especially on the cross. 
Ellen White says, love, well, the Bible says, Galatians 5 verse 6, faith with works. How does faith work? Faith with works by what? Love. In other words, without love, faith cannot work. There's no obedience. What do you say? Amen? Ellen White says, love is the agent by which sin is expelled from the heart. What do you say? Amen? Love is the agent. In other words, without love, God's love, you cannot have victory over your addictions. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? Yeah. That's why you need to have God's love. That's why you look at God's love. That's why you need to focus upon God's love, a thoughtful hour every day, especially the closing scenes of God's love. Three, you know, if you change your lifestyle, your diet, you know, it's going to totally help you overcome your, you know, the emotional lusting of your hormones, right? Even more so. And then the last thing, allow God to take you through suffering as this is a means to bring victory in your life. I want victory. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Okay, we have um, some time here. And so I'm going to ask, does anyone even want to come up maybe ask a question here? And um, I'll be on the side. You can ask a question, and I'll do my best to kind of answer it. Maybe you have questions about anything that you have or a scenario or anything. Just come and you can ask a question. I can share. Anyone bold enough? It's okay. <laughs> Did it all make sense to you? What's your boot? Huh? What boot is it that you have downstairs? Uh, it's called Healing Rain. Yeah. It's uh, 205. Yeah. Anyone have any other question? Maybe you can just yell it from here and I can restate it. Any other question? I'll just come down to you. We'll be on the same level. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. Could you elaborate a little bit more on changing your diet? Is it specific things? Uh, okay, yeah, changing your diet. Okay, that's good. You know, the next sem seminar, I'm going to go more into the specific, but it talks about uh, certain foods that inflame the passions even more so. And so that's why you can't separate the body from the mind and the mind from the body. It's connected. That's why Jesus, you know, when Jesus, he actually, um, you know, when people are sick, and I hear, I hear people say, you know, Jesus healed the physical before he healed the, the spiritual, the emotional. But, you know, that's not true because somebody be lying on the ground paralyzed, and he wouldn't say rise up and walk, but he said your sins be what? Forgiving you. In other words, he dealt with the emotional pain of bitterness, anger, resentment, right? Unforgiveness, hatred. He dealt with those negative emotions and the sins of those, unforgiveness and bitterness. He dealt with it, healed with them from that. And as he healed them with the emotional level, then they were able to rise up and walk. What do you say? Amen. Because those negative emotions kill the body. Do you know that, right? You know that. People will get angry. Sometimes they get a heart attack right after they become angry, right? The negative emotions affects the body. That's why the heart's failing them for fear, right? Fear actually can create a heart attack, right? So there's a lot of things that connection to emotion in the body. So your diet, not only does the negative emotions affect the body, but your body affects the mind as well and also the passions. So good question, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's a whole sermon. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very powerful question. And um, fear is based upon, um, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? but a power out of what? Love, Love and a what? Sound mind. So this is the whole sermon. So, but the opposite, the three opposites of fear. And one of the opposites, the middle one was love. So love and fear cannot coexist. So when you have love, 
There's no fear, right? But when you have fear, there can be no love. And that's included in relationships. So we have a relationship, and you're afraid of your boyfriend. You may have loved your boyfriend at, at one time in the beginning, but if he continues to beat you up, after a while, that fear of being of that person will eventually is going to kill the love you have for him. Does that make sense? Or if your girlfriend's manipulative and emotionally abusive toward you, or verbally abusive toward you, that fear of being hurt or uh, saying the wrong thing to offend you, right, is going to eventually kill the love that you have. And fear and love can exist, coexist. So when you have God's love, perfect love, cast out what? Fear. fear. Does that make sense, right? So that's how you overcome fear. You have to focus on, again, the cross. Everything points to the cross. Everything points to God's love as a solution for everything out there. But God's word is a solution for every single problem we have in this world. Amen. Okay, I saw a couple several hands. Okay, now hands are coming up. Okay, good. Um, I think I saw his hand first. Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's wondering if, um, if fear, can you say it again? Fear, how do you, do, how do you move forward if you have a fear of um, being hurt again or of... Well, how do you manage fear? Because it says in the spirit of prophecy that the cords of sin that Satan uses to bind us is uh, pain of duty and love of pleasure. So my question was, is that reason we don't want to do this is because we're scared that it's going to hurt. Yeah, so we, we're basically, basically saying that you're living a life based upon fear and how to get away from that. Yeah. Question? So the statistics say that uh, one out of eight women have been raped, one out of four women have been molested. How do you deal in your ministry with helping women? Like, what do you take with the Bible? We're dealing with past sexual traumas. Yeah. So um, we deal with, you have to look at abuse first. We study abuse, and then what is abuse? And then from there, you have to, we go back to, because we go to the, um, the Bible about how everyone who's been abused, whether it's sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and we, we actually deal with spiritual abuse, which is actually another unspoken thing that kills a lot of people in our church. But all abuse, they always struggle with a low self-worth. That's always, so we have to deal with that and heal from that and help them to deal with the low self work. There's always a pattern with everything that works. And then we help them to show that how much a person is worth based upon the cross of Calvary again. So that's basic, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know we actually have whole presentations on the whole subject, but it's kind of like a big picture. Yeah. Can you do like a summary of that? Can we do like a summary of? Of like restoring self-worth. Oh, 30 second summary of self worth. <laughs> let me see if I, I have. Know it's a lot. Oh, yeah. Let me see if I have 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, like a, like, a, like a quick kind of healing session here. Ooh, 30 seconds. You know, I think, okay, let's point out something, okay? So, she so wanted to know a summary of how to heal from a low self-worth from whatever abuse you have, psychological abuse from your parents, you know, verbal abuse from your um, relationships or sexual abuse from, from someone or even domestic violence. So this Bible, how much do you believe this Bible is worth? <laughs> how much do you think I bought it for? <laughs> how much do you think you would pay for it? How much would you pay for this Bible? Huh? 
$40? Anyone else? $45? $45? Anyone out there? $50? $50? I got it for $25. Okay. In Canada, so it was actually a better price at that time. So thank you. $40, that's good. Kind of falling apart right now. I should sell it because it kind of is falling apart. But um, so now, say it was like $40. But what if I said, um, this Bible was given to me by my dad who passed away. How many you think this Bible is worth to me now? $40 maybe I paid for it, whatever. But how many you think it's worth to me now? Now it's like priceless, yeah? So it's priceless. So how much something is worth is based upon how much someone is willing to pay for it. Right? So my next question would be, was there anyone who was willing to pay anything for, well, before that, how much is Jesus worth? Million dollars? Two million? Ten million dollars? Is that how he's worth to you? Our lives. How much, you, if you put a price, could you put a price on Jesus? How much is it worth? Billions? Is it worth more than the billions? Yeah, he is, right? He's the creator God. Now, my next question is, has anyone ever paid a price for you? Yes. My next question is, how much are you worth? How much you're worth is based upon, like this Bible, how much someone is willing to what? Pay for you. So your worth is based upon how much someone is willing to pay for you. And my next question is, has there been anyone who has ever paid anything for you? Has there? What did he pay for you? A million dollars? Two million dollars? His life. Is God's life worth? Priceless. In other words, if God's life is priceless, and you, who've been abused, feel like you're worth nothing, then realize that he gave his life for you. In other words, he exchanged his life for you, meaning that you're worth the price of God. Amen. What do you say? Amen? Amen? That's how much you're worth to God. That's how beautiful you are to God. That's how much you're worth. That's how precious you are to God. So don't ever doubt how much you're worth to God. What do you say? Amen? Amen. In fact, on the cross of Calvary, when he had to choose between you, when he saw you, and he had to choose between you or himself, who did he choose? You, right? So on the cross of Calvary, when he chose you, you know what he is really saying? You are worth more than God. That's how precious you are to God. So how can we ever doubt how much we're worth to God? When you, walk, when you know that, you walk around with a holy boldness, knowing that I'm worth, I am priceless in the eyes of God. That gives me faith. That gives me confidence. Because that's how much you're worth. I hope that helped answer your question. Amen. If you're interested in our school, um, come to our booth. We have flyers for different schools, and we have a brochure. And we have an email sign-up list, and my wife in the back there, you can sign up for her. And we just put you on an emailing list of when our next schools are coming up. And um, our next seminar um, presentation starts in 15 minutes. It's going to be on men, sexual integrity for men. Um, but it's open for women, too. In fact, you know, I highly recommend it because it's going to help you in relationships. So thank you. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, and we pray that you may...
take the lessons that you taught us and apply it into our lives and that we realize how much you truly love us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.